0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. On one of the radio stations around the country, maybe you're on YouTube, iTunes, or the show website, CREshow.com. Well, speaking of show, we have an incredible show for you today. We're gonna to talk about industrial real estate insights. And I think industrial is really interesting today because it is in everybody's mind because all of us are shopping online all of that comes from industrial real estate there's been some changes with last mile and industrial market really doing well and changing and 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 industrial retail uh, kind of mixing these days so should be some interesting insight for you today and this segment is brought to you by barnes creative studios if you would like a video uh, product of your next project visit barnscreativestudios.com. Well, please welcome my first guest. It's Barbara Denham. She's Senior Economist with Reese, and she's joining us on the phone. Barbara, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Barbara, what? how is industrial real estate doing performance-wise? It seems like it's it's all the rage these days. What's occupancy and Rates doing?
1: Well, the vacancy rate uh, declined uh, in the first quarter of um 2017. It's now at about 10.1%, down from 10.4% last quarter. So we're seeing a lot of construction, but we're seeing even more net absorption. So we're seeing very healthy signs in the industrial sector. And more importantly, we're seeing it across the U.S. So every market is seeing uh, vacancy rate declines and positive rent growth.
0: That's great. And what about rent growth, Barbara? Is it uh, been substantial in some markets?
1: No, I mean, yeah. Some, excuse me. Some, some markets are seeing better rent growth than others. Industrial is not the big uh, rent grower than a lot of uh, property types are. So it's never going to see sharp, re- uh, robust rent growth. But what we're seeing is uh, again positive rent growth in all the markets, and the ones that are doing the best are um, on the West Coast and a few in the Midwest. For example, Kansas City saw strong rent, uh, strong rent growth in the first quarter. San Bernardino, Riverside, Denver, Oakland, Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, Nashville, and um, Atlanta all had rent growth of 0.8% or above for the quarter. The highest was Kansas City at 1.2%. Wow.
0: Okay. Well, that's interesting. So it seems like, Barbara, we didn't see a lot of new supply, and new construction uh, in the uh, tough times of the economy that we had from, you know, 09 and for several years. Uh, but it seems like uh, new supply has picked up. What are you seeing?
1: Yeah, new supply was pretty healthy in the first quarter. It's always lower in the first quarter than it is in the others. So new supply for warehouse and distribution was 14.9 million square feet. That was down from $16.4 million in the fourth quarter of 2014 and $19.3 million in the, first, the fourth quarter of 2015. So it's still robust, but it's not as strong as it had been. But that's pretty healthy because um, what we're seeing is vacancy rates declining every quarter. The markets where we saw the most new construction, believe it or not, was Atlanta, um, Orlando, and uh, San Bernardino-Riverside.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and I think everyone involved in commercial real estate is always a little concerned about oversupply, but it sounds like from your numbers, you're just not really seeing that in industrial.
1: No, we're not. We're, we're really not, especially in flex R&D. There's even less new construction in flex R&D. There's only a handful of buildings that we're seeing. In fact, new construction in, um, in the U.S. Uh, in the first quarter was only 473,000 square feet which is minimal. Only a few markets had about 100,000 square feet or more.
0: Yeah. So what do you expect moving forward, Barbara, for performance? So are we are going to continue to see this great uh, market for industrial?
1: It's definitely going to grow at a very steady rate. Um, again, rent, it's not a very glamorous industry, so you're never going to see really robust rate rent growth. But we show nearly every market um, with positive rent growth going forward and vacancy rates declining. So we're very bullish on the uh warehouse distribution and flex R&D space but we d- again we we caution that you're never going to see tremendous rent growth like you do say in the apartment market uh at the peak.
0: Yeah. Well, I uh yeah, it's a lot of people think it's not glamorous. So I'm gonna share that with my industrial broker my industrial brokers and my industrial developer friends that tell yeah hey, we we said it on the commercial real estate show. It's not glamorous. Uh,
1: <laughs> <what> <laughs> good about, luck with
0: that. <laughs> uh, what about cap rates, Barbara? It seems like uh people are really interested in investing in industrial. What are the cap rate trends?
1: Well, we're seeing um pretty good cap rates, uh we're seeing um, the, the cap rate for industrial overall in the first quarter fell to 7.5%. That's the 12-month rolling cap rate for industrial properties. It had been 7.6% at the end of 2016, um, but it had been as low as 7.2% in early 2016. So we saw um, slight declines in 2014 and 2015 and then a uh, bit of an uptick at the end of 2016 and then a slight downturn in 2016. Um, in 2017 so that's that's a good sign i mean it, the fact that the the 12-month rolling has been pretty stable is a very good sign it means that the investor appetite for real estate um for industrial real estate is still pretty healthy
0: and what would you expect moving forward barbara on um cap rates for industrial properties because you know you have a lot of things happening you have some rises in, in-, in interest rates uh for the debt side um, then you have a lot of things going on with the economy
1: yeah that's true Um, Our forecast shows slight um, upticks in the uh, 12-month rolling uh, cap rate in 2017, uh, but only still below 8%, maybe higher than 8.8% in uh, 2018 and 2019 but again not not higher than um nine percent so we see very stable cap rates but yes they are probably going to go up in the next two years assuming uh interest rates go up
0: yeah and on the larger properties that could be a significant uh, value change especially if the lease rates uh, are pretty stable and not increasing on some of these properties that's correct so Barbara, what's going to impact industrial real estate moving forward what should we look out for
1: well, definitely look for the e-commerce business, um, you know, the retail sales numbers, because they have been very strong. Already in the first quarter, we saw a pretty strong growth um, in e-commerce. Um, you know, it was uh, an increase of um, $4.6 billion in the first two months of this year. So that's pretty strong. As long as we see positive growth in e-commerce, we'll probably see positive demand for di- warehouse and distribution space. Um, and that might not be good for the retail re- real estate markets, but it is very good for the industrial.
0: And is there anything, Barbara, with uh, Trump's plans for imports, expor- exports, uh, for repatriation and bringing money back into the U.S. infrastructure, any of that impact industrial real estate possibly?
1: Well, it could, um, for sure. But right now, we're, we caution everyone take a wait-and-see approach because a lot of what he said during his campaign has not really um, been uh, carried out in, so far in this administration. I think he's probably learning from many advisors that trade is actually pretty good for the U.S. overall. You know, there are some losers, but the, the net effect of trade is that it, there's more winners than losers. So I don't Worries so so much that nafta is just going to go by the wayside and we're going to lose a lot of trade as far as the infrastructure investment is concerned i think everyone agrees that that's very very important and it's especially important for the industrial markets when you consider how many trucks and trains and transportation is involved in in uh... getting all the commerce around the country so um... Yes, that will have a tremendous impact. And I think everyone agrees that in- infrastructure investment is the best thing you can do for the economy right now.
0: Yeah. Well, heck, you, s- you know, he hasn't done some of these things yet, and it's been 100 days, dang it. <laughs> What's wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: It's <laughs> 100 no, days. No, <laughs> I know. It's, it's,
1: it's, it's, a, um, it's a funny uh, time period we, we focus on. It's probably not necessary.
0: Quick answer to this, so we're uh, short on the break. Investor demand for industrial real estate from foreign investors. Uh, Moving forward, what do you expect?
1: That's a good question. I mean, foreign investors' uh, investment in the U.S. economy and the U.S. real estate market is still very strong. We're not seeing that much participation in the industrial market. It's more the office and apartment because it's better understood. So um, net-net, there may be a positive effect, but it's never really been on the, the radar for a lot of international investors overall.
0: Okay. Well, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and uh, get back and more about industrial real estate, some of the trends that are impacting it, what to look out for, and some uh, success strategies. So stay with us. And uh, also connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, comment, let us know what you think. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. are you looking to buy sell or lease commercial real estate you're invited to contact bull realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com
2: video is powerful some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story We are Barnes Creative Studios. Atlanta's premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com Hi, this is
0: Michael Ball. Check out Plum Lending, the one to $25 million commercial real estate specialist. Plum offers you speed, certainty, and preferential turns because it's all driven by technology. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. That's GetYourPlumLoan.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment's brought to you by Barnes Creative Studios. If you'd like a video about your next project, reach out to them at barnscreativestudios.com. Where today, we're talking about industrial real estate insights. And my guest is Ryan Severino. He's Senior Economist with JLL. He's joined us in Studio One. Ryan, thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure to be in studio.
0: Ryan, you, you, you know, we just heard your friends at uh, Reese uh, talk about the market there. And it seems like there's a lot of things going on with industrial real estate. You know, you've got uh, our new president and everything that he's doing. We kind of have a a change in economy. You know, what do you see is kind of the the biggest thing that's really impacting industrial real estate moving forward?
2: You know, I I, I still think the biggest thing right now is just how important e-commerce has really become to industrial in a way that it's probably been detrimental to retail. I think it's really become the key driver. And I think it's interesting because if you went back A few years ago, I think there was this perception in the industry that e-commerce was going to sort of run its course, that the growth rates were going to have to slow down. I mean, just, you know, the law of big numbers, at some point, the growth was going to have to start to moderate. Mm -hmm. But I think what the industry kind of missed was sort of the rise of mobile commerce, right? I I think if you go back four, five, six years ago, there was this perception that, that we as a society were not going to be willing to adopt. A mobile platform for commerce, at least not to the extent that we were willing to adopt it on sort of a desktop or a laptop platform. But I think if you look at the growth rates where they've come over a relatively short period of time, in nine to 10 years, you've seen. Uh, the share of mobile commerce relative to total e-commerce go from about 2% to something uh, close to 20%. That's a huge growth spurt in a relatively short period of time. And now not that people still don't you know shop on a, on a desktop or a laptop, but the growth driver is really becoming mobile commerce. I think as uh, network speeds get better as sites become more secure, uh, as the actual browsers and, and the interfaces from most of the the companies start to become more sophisticated. people generally have become more comfortable with this, and now it 's really sort of um, grabbed the baton from sort of the desktop platform and, and is kind of running in the lead with it and I think that is something that continues to drive. Uh, demand, both across sort of the bigger boxes that were sort of the original domains of e-commerce to even some of the medium to smaller size boxes that are out there now.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's an interesting insight. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that as a benefit to industrial real estate, but obviously uh, those are where the products are coming from and the convenience. Uh, I know I'm shopping more online because it's convenient on my phone. You know, I'm sitting there having a cigar and I think about, well, I'd like to have another cigar. (laughs) (laughs) And, And if I had to go to a laptop, I wouldn't do it. But if I can just do it with my phone there, I'm ordering.
2: And eventually, you know, Amazon will just yeah. e- either have a drone drop it in your lap or beam it to you or whatever the technology of the future <laughs> yeah. is. But you're right. It, it yeah. really is the convenience sake of it. The idea that you're sitting somewhere, maybe it's home, maybe you're out and about and you think, oh, I need X, whatever X happens to be. And instead of having to actually go into a store, you know, circa 30 years ago or wait until you're home in front of a computer, now, as soon as the thought crosses your mind, you just turn on your phone or you know open your phone and start buying whatever you need and then it's done it's it's incredibly incredibly convenient
0: yeah when you think about it every consumer almost today is carrying your cash register for your business right
2: pretty much (laughs) and just think about how you know ubiquitous phones have become you know i don't know at what age most parents are willing to turn a phone over to their to their children but i don't know anybody who doesn't have a smartphone these days at least anybody um above a certain age that doesn't have one and so everyone pretty much has e-commerce capability on them almost literally 24 hours a day which i think is again it's not as if you have to be in front of a computer now all of a sudden you are Plugged into you know our interconnected global economy, you know, 24 hours a day, wherever you happen to be.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we just did, we created a new website, and on your phone now you can sign a confidentiality agreement, uh, get access to the the secure documents that That's we excellent. approve, and then you can make an offer on your phone. Really? Yeah. You, That's awesome. docu signed, so it's legally signed. Uh, and go ahead and make an offer. It's so you could be smoking your cigar
2: and, and buy an office building. <laughs> that is definitely a 21st century kind of thing to do.
0: So what else you think is really impacting? I think a lot of people are concerned, maybe positive, maybe negative, about President Trump. But he seems to do a lot of things that, that might help uh, industry in the U.S.
2: You know, I think there are a lot of good things out mm-hmm. there. And, I, and certainly, you know, you could probably make this argument about the overall economy. But clearly for industrial, I think, you know, there are ways they can probably improve trade policy, which would be good for industrial, right? There's also the risk they could do things that are maybe a little negative toward that. But Mm -hmm. clearly they can take steps in the right direction to, to slowly liberalize trade in ways that are beneficial, right? I think the agreement with China last week, which, you know, isn't a massive game changer, but I see that as a step in the right direction, right? Let's not be so confrontational about this, right? Trade works the best when it tends to be mutually beneficial and I think if you you know if, if you read through the agreement which again isn't this sort of broad uh, you know overarching uh, Trade policy, but mm-hmm. still at the margin There are a lot of good things in there, and I think if they take a similar strategy with however they approach You know renegotiating NAFTA and agreements like that they're talking about you know revisiting the the bilateral South uh, Korean trade agreement as long as they don't view it purely confrontationally and they really open their minds toward you know sort of mutually beneficial liberalization of trade I think there's a lot of of potential benefit there obviously for the industrial sector which would be hugely beneficial through uh, you know liberalization of of, uh, further liberalization of trade how does
0: Trump's nationalism play into that. I mean, he wants to buy American, hire American. Should that help industrial real estate? Is it a sector that we should invest in moving forward?
2: You know, if they pull it off the right way, absolutely, right? Because there are ways that we could potentially be doing more in the U.S. Right. So if, if we could change the incentives to, and this this is one of my 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 sort of um, wish list kind of items, but if they could change tax policy so that it was more beneficial to invest in the US, there's the potential there for investment dollars to actually start to sprout up a little bit. Not just in, you know, sort of amorphous things like research and development, but even potentially sort of property plant and equipment and actually start manufacturing a little bit more in the US. I certainly think there could be benefits there. They just need to structure it in a way that it actually is a catalyst for investment, isn't just sort of a you know big tax giveaway. Which you know I'm I don't say that as sort of a you know sort of raging anti-tax crusader, but there are right ways they can go about this that will actually have knock-on effects for the economy, and there are other ways which you know are good for consumers to put money back in their pockets, but might not actually uh, spur that much investment in the economy.
0: What about Reduced regulations in industrial real estate it would seem that that would be a positive for the sector.
2: Absolutely, you know, and, and again, I'm not an anti-sort of, mm-hmm. um, you know, regulatory uh, uh, hawk or anything like that. But w- let's be honest: the, the pendulum can swing too far when it comes to regulation. And I think regulation, you know, my thought is it needs to be pragmatic and sensible. And I think there are definitely ways they could make it a little more realistic, especially if you start to think about what could potentially happen with driverless automobiles at some point, there's going to be a lot of concern about those. And, and my hope is that um, the regulatory framework doesn't swing too far to, to sort of the restrictive side, because I, I think once you start to talk about driverless automobiles, now obviously it, it, it obviously imperils a lot of jobs in the US, but if you think about the improvements in productivity and how quickly we'll be able and, and, and more efficiently we'll be able to move goods around, all of that would be hugely beneficial uh, for the industrial sector. So sensible regulation, not too much, not too little, just to feel like sensible regulation tends to be the best for the economy. You don't want it to be the Wild West, but you don't want it to be too restrictive either.
0: Yeah, well, it'd be interesting, maybe even scary to look over and see a, a, a big truck and trailer going down with <laughs> not seeing anybody in the cab. Maximum
2: uh, overdrive or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and you talk about productivity, i would be nice. Uh, I did took an Uber to the, to the Hawks game uh, recently and I was able to work for an hour and I thought, right. well, the ride cost me $50, but I actually make more than that an hour, so it, so it made sense. Well, well stay tuned. I'm going to ask Ryan about some opportunities in the industrial stack sector. Stay with us. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com.
2: Buildout, the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit Buildout.com.
0: Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment's brought to you by Plum Lending. Visit getyourplumloan.com. Today we're talking industrial real estate with Ryan Severino, he's a senior economist with JLL. And Ryan, we're talking about all the changes going on in industrial real estate, so where are the opportunities for listeners and viewers related to the
2: industrial sector today? You know, I actually think the opportunities are pretty abundant. Now, of course, if you're in a major gateway market, you're you're going to pay up. Uh, I think cap rates have gotten incredibly low, and in a lot of the sort of the key. I mean, I'm sure you see it mm-hmm. in Atlanta, but if you think about sort of the Northeast corridor, and you know New Jersey and, and Eastern Pennsylvania, Southern California markets like that. But I think one of the things that that I've been seeing is that demand has really started to spread beyond that. If you went back, you know, three, four, five years ago, I think demand was concentrated in sort of those. Stalwart, you know, five or six real important markets. Now, what you're starting to see is that demand is spreading a little bit further afield. So it's not as concentrated in sort of those i'll call them gateway it's a little bit Mm -hmm. different than office gateway but sort of those sort of key gateway distribution markets Mm -hmm. and it's not just sort of the big monolithic e-commerce centers anymore again Mm -hmm. three four five years ago um a a lot of demand was really concentrated around i'm sure you've seen this the big you know gigantor centers you know a million square feet one two if not bigger than that now i think what you're seeing and where i'm I'm seeing some interesting opportunities are people are still trying to sort of solve that last mile problem right Mm -hmm. as especially among young people, as they become a little more sort of urban-oriented and moving into to, you know denser city centers, I still think there's this issue out there, how do you solve that problem, right? If, if you're getting a lot of these, and let's be honest about it, they're younger, they're working sort of higher, you sort of value-add skill sector jobs, so they're, they're relatively more affluent for their age, um, they're pretty good consumers, all things equal, how do you get them the goods that they're purchasing in a relatively short period of time? And so what you're starting to see is this sort of renewed interest in um, some smaller centers, but they're a little more infill, or at least they're in closer to these urban centers, as I think a lot of the retailers uh, try to solve this last mile problem. And I think that's not something that you were seeing two, three, four years ago, where people had the, the mantra in their head of, we'll just build a huge mega distribution center. It doesn't matter how far away from the city center it is because we'll just, you know, put it on a truck and get it there. And I'm not invalidating that thesis. I'm simply saying that I think there's this other school of thought now that's really sort of taken hold that says I don't need to necessarily be in a super primary, you know, sort of gateway type market, Mm -hmm. nor do I need to be in a sort of you know, mega distribution center. The key is really sort of the location. Am I storing you know, the right number of goods? Um, and, and with my distribution network, can I actually get it to the end consumer uh, in a short enough period of time? So I think it's the confluence of a lot of those things.
0: Yeah, and like you said, the there's growth in online sales It keeps growing. So there's more goods, there's more growth, there's more need for the space. So where are the opportunities? Are they investing in industrial REITs? Are they in... Um, building new spec buildings? Or are they in uh, maybe uh, converting uh, adaptive use of maybe some of these old shopping centers in some of these areas? or
2: I think it's some of all of those things. I've, I, I still think there's um, room to run in the development cycle for this. If you ask me about some other property types, I'd probably caution against mm-hmm. developing this far into an economic expansion. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at the industrial sector, you're still seeing net absorption outpacing new construction. And, you know, for my money, I don't think a recession is imminent. I don't think, certainly I don't think we're going to see one in 2017. I think the probability is it's still really low 2018. Even into 2019, I think that's where my crystal ball gets a little murkier. But, you know, that gives us probably, you know, two or so years at least to go through sort of you know, construction uh, and then sort of lease up and stabilization for industrial, even for bigger property types, that is usually an adequate enough period of time. And especially mm-hmm. if it pushes the recession out a little further. So I still think it's a property type where where development is a reasonable thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about adaptive reuse. I think there are a lot of there are a lot of parcels out there that people are going to more seriously consider that whether it's. Old retail buildings that uh, are no longer you know really functioning as as you know sort of modern day competitive retail centers, whether it's suburban office buildings and some of these office parks that are just, you know, they're kind of obsolete given what's happened to the labor force over the last 10 to 15 years, at least until you know we all decide we don't want to work in cities anymore and we go back to working in the suburbs. But I, I definitely think that there is an adaptive reuse play there. And I think there's some just, you know, I'll call it sort of the hunt for yield, right? Again, if you're not Looking in sort of the key primary markets, I think there are some attractive plays out there if you if you do your homework. Not every you know industrial building trading at a four cap I, again, if you're going to look in certain pockets of the market you're going to find those four cap buildings but mm-hmm. you know if you're you're willing to do your homework and, and sniff around for value a little bit, you know there are definitely properties trading uh you know at attractive cap rates above that. you probably won't find them in the best parts of you know Atlanta and central new jersey and you know inland empire and and uh Places like that, but I, I do think there's value to be had there. So I, I think across the spectrum, it's probably it's probably the one property type where I think the opportunities are are abundant. That you see them across, um, you know, sort of different subtypes uh, or, or you know or different strategies within uh, the industrial property type.
0: Okay. So when you look at the various sectors, you think there's then more of a runway for industrial than the other sectors.
2: I still think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, office to me feels you know, again, we're relatively late in the economic cycle. We're still generating a lot of jobs, but it's been, you know, kind of backing off a little bit relative to a few years ago. And, you know, it's, it's a little more concentrated these days, right? It's either sort of the dense CBD type office that everyone's so enamored with, or it's the you know, sort of the transit advantage. you know, kind of diet urban, kind of suburban nodes that are doing well. But like I was just mentioning, that sort of 1980s or so vintage office park is out in the suburbs. There's not a lot of real interest in that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about apartments, I'm still generally bullish on apartments, just not as bullish as I was a few years ago. The construction pipeline is really ramped up. Vacancy compression is largely stalled out. I don't see a lot of expansion in vacancy, mm-hmm. but I, you know, If you ask me if I, you know, in most markets, do I think now's a good time to to build, you know, I think would say it depends on the market. I think there are a lot of markets that I probably wouldn't go near. There's Mm -hmm. still some that I might consider. And then retail, you know, obviously, uh, as I'm fond of saying, retail is probably overbuilt and under demolished. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm probably not super enthusiastic about building, you know, new ground up retail unless you're in a part of the country where the population uh, is really growing. Otherwise, I'd say you know, maybe expansions of existing properties that are doing well. But that that to me is a, a little more of a difficult thesis just because uh, of the structural changes that retail is going through right now.
0: Okay, and Ryan, you mentioned the cycle and the length of the cycle. So tell me your opinion as an economist and maybe what you see from other economists as far as have they changed their idea of how long this cycle's going to last from Trump getting elected. I assume that most economists thought that Hillary would get elected. They've seen what he's done or, or not been able to do, and he seems very busy in his first hundred days that he had. Um, has that extended your version of the good times
2: in the cycle, or the same, or less? I think some of it depends on the policies we get, honestly, because. I think there's a good argument to be made that if, if, if they're smart about deregulation, if they're smart about tax reform, if they're smart about an infrastructure plan, I, I do think that there's the potential there to extend the cycle. I think there's also the risk that they do a bunch of stuff and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything sort of medium to long term. I think what I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to is what happens with interest rates, mm-hmm. because interest rates rising... I'm not trying to throw the Fed under the bus, but that's usually a pretty important catalyst for either slowing the economy down or causing a recession. And again, not throwing the Fed under the bus. They have the toughest job in the world, right? If you don't raise rates quickly enough, you risk engendering an asset bubble that that could blow up and cause you know real serious problems for the economy. Or if you push too hard, you maybe choke off the economy a little too quickly, and then it slows down and you cause a recession. You know, my gut tells me that you know we still have some time for them. To keep raising rates before it starts to have any kind of impact on the economy. I mean, you really haven't seen it have that much of an impact. We've, you know, they've been tightening technically since December of 2015. You haven't seen, you know, much of a change in economic growth. Certainly, in, in you know, sort of. Our world in commercial real estate, you know, lending volumes are, are generally trending up. You haven't seen a big, you know, fallout from that just yet, and that's because the economy continues to grow and, and you know produce favorable results for commercial real estate.
0: Do you expect two more Fed rate hikes this year?
2: I do. Um, yeah. I think next month is almost a given, uh, given that that they have been basically telegraphing that to the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who remember what a telegraph is, <laughs> and, uh, and and the futures market certainly expects it. I think something the last like a fax time, machine, right? Yeah, something it's somewhere like, along those exactly. lines. You have to touch typing or something. Um, but uh, the, the futures market is even generally pricing that in mm-hmm. to the tune of, you know, probably the last time I checked, I think it was probably about eighty-five to ninety percent or so. So mm-hmm. that would be the second one this year, and I think there's a really good probability that we get one more toward the end of the year maybe not you know waiting until the zero hour in December as they have the previous two calendar years but i think there's a really good probability of that and then i think they'll you know, see where the economy is. But the underlying fundamentals in the economy are pretty good. I mean, if you don't get hung up on GDP growth. Um, if you look at the labor market, if you look at uh, consumer spending, if you look at inflation starting to tick up and wage growth accelerating, there's still a lot of good things going on in the economy. So I think there's room for the economy to run. I think there'll be a little bit of this tug of war between sort of the underlying improvement in the economy and strength in the economy that we're seeing, and then the Fed raising rates because they're worried, of, and rightfully so. Again, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but rightfully so, worried about you know wage growth spiraling out of control and having an impact on inflation running too hot, and then you know that being a more potentially damaging scenario down the road. I, I, you know they have to walk this tightrope back that I don't I don't envy, but I, I still think we have you know at least a year or two before we have to seriously think about what that scenario looks like.
0: And back to my question about runway on this cycle, is is the translation I'm hearing from you that it hasn't changed so far, kind of the jury's still out if, if we're going to have a longer cycle or shorter cycle based on what Trump's doing?
2: Yeah, I think the jury's still out because yeah. it, we haven't, I mean, for all that he's signed with executive orders, we haven't really seen anything that can really move the needle on the economy just yet, right? So. Deregulation at the margin, you know, they've made some changes, but you haven't seen sweeping changes that they were talking about. The tax reform plan, right now as it stands, is a page of you know, sort of wishful bullet points. And just this week, you heard, you know, Senate Leader McConnell basically come out and say that they're not willing to countenance uh, tax cuts if there isn't an, an offset to that because he doesn't want to see, um, you know, the deficit increase and the debt outstanding increase. So that is going to be, I think, a tougher battle than they would have thought. And honestly, it's been. I don't know, a couple months at least, and I haven't heard any substantive conversation about infrastructure spending at this point. So, you know, I think in the wake of the election, people were really enthusiastic because they thought, you know, the same party controls the White House and Congress, it'll probably be a slam dunk to get a lot of this stuff done. And I think what people are realizing a hundred or so days into this is that just because everybody has an R after their name doesn't mean they all think the same way. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be relatively more of a challenge. I mean, we don't even know what the healthcare reform bill is going to look like because the Senate hasn't, to my knowledge at least just yet, really done anything with it. I certainly haven't heard anything concrete from them. And not to be remotely political about this, but the more time that they spend in Washington talking about Russia and firing the FBI director and all the ancillary things that that come along with that the less time they're going to spend working on Potential fiscal policy changes that could stimulate the economy So I mean my concern is that there, you know all of this stuff is sort of derailing What what could be potentially beneficial changes uh, to the underlying structure of the economy? So that 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 makes me feel a little bit um, regretful about what's been going on there, but Politics is politics. What are you going to yeah. do about that? Yeah. Well, let's go
0: back to, to the question about um, the Fed rate hikes and and then look at cap rates. And let's talk about industrial today. So what would you expect if in your crystal ball, you said it might be fuzzy two or three years out, but let's look at two or three years out as real estate investors and advisors to investors. We, we have to do that, right? Give some kind of estimate. What would you expect exit cap rates uh, as a percentage change? Uh, that you might see three years from now compared to today?
2: You know, I think a lot of that depends on um, the severity of the recession. And and to be fair, I don't think it's going to be a tremendously severe recession. Mm -hmm. I think... um, But there'll be one. Yeah, you know, it's an inevitable thing, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not exactly 19 into 20 or 20 Mm -hmm. into 21. But unless, again, they change the underlying structure of the economy that somehow keeps propelling it forward, economics is a cyclical phenomenon at Mm -hmm. some point. Uh, The cycle is going to run out of steam and I don't usually date economic cycles by the Mm -hmm. calendar So I know we're coming up on eight years this summer, but I I look at it partially Through the lens of the calendar, but also Mm -hmm. I think about what's going on in the underlying structure of the economy so up until recently we haven't seen a lot of the things that usually cause the cycle to slow or the Fed to raise rates and, and The cycle to slow down we haven't seen wage pressures until the last couple of years, or at least real acceleration in wage pressures, or acceleration in inflation pressures. So, I think when we get to that point, um, I think I expect a more modest recession, something more on the order of your kind of typical post-war recession. And in that case, if if you know, sort of, you know, you're looking at cap rates, you know, sort of, you know, at least institutional caliber and sort of the low fours, you know, maybe we can get fifty to one hundred basis points expansion. I don't, I don't think it will be too dramatic, just because. Um, I, I think you're going to see continued improvement in the economy with the Fed raising, which means NOI's should, you know, be stable if not actually growing. Which mm-hmm. I think puts a lid on, um, you know, how much you'll, you'll see real upward movement in, in cap rates. I, I don't expect it to be too dramatic, just because I don't expect the recession to be nearly as uh, as dramatic as it once was. And if nothing else, um, you know, the United States is still kind of the harbor and the tempest in a lot of the world. There's still a lot of demand. Um, for assets, not just domestically, but um, but outside the US. I mean, I was just mm-hmm. in Asia a few weeks ago and there's a lot of interest, not just from the Chinese who clearly are, I think are spending, uh, investing in the US in a way that, that we've never really seen the Chinese spending money. But even from uh, from South Korea and Japan, which you know have been kind of hands off to a certain extent for a while, I think that interest is coming back around. So I think, especially if, if it's a recession that, that is impacted in a lot of other parts of the world. I still think you know we are the safe haven for for better or worse, and that also sort of puts a lid on um, you know how how much upper pressure you can probably see on cap rates during a recession.
0: And um, interesting to note that you. Noted in uh, institutional quality assets, something that's a really low cap rate today of maybe four might have a hundred basis points increase, but um, but maybe the the B properties or the smaller markets uh, might you expect a, a larger increase in cap rates there, where you know maybe a property is selling at an eight cap
2: today or seven cap today. You know, a- yeah, maybe a little bit more. Again, I think probably not too dramatic just because of, of I, I don't think the nature of the recession is going to be too daunting. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, the other thing is, uh, it, it, I feel like the structural changes are benefiting industrial in a way that some other property types aren't, aren't seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole, again, not to go back to it, but the e-commerce story, I think you're seeing um, foreign investors also really understanding that story. And if you just think over the last few years, I mean, we've seen more foreign investment and industrial real estate than than we've ever seen. You know, for the longest time, it was an asset class that they just didn't understand that well. Uh, to an extent, they weren't very enthusiastic about. I think they get the story now, and I think their investment thesis has changed over the last few years. I, so, I, I concede your point that I think you could see more upward pressure mm-hmm. on cap rates from you know sort of kind of B caliber assets, but I still think it's going to be you know, reasonable expansion, maybe less than, you know, to an extent, I think less than what we typically see during a downturn, just because I do think the structural thesis behind industrial real estate is, I mean, it's legitimate, it's durable. And I think Everyone, including foreign investors, really understand it well now.
0: Yeah, well said and good points, uh, Ryan, as always. Thanks for joining us. Great information.
2: Always my pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: And thanks for joining us on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, and the show website, CommercialRealEstateShow.com. We have a great show in store for you next week, so be sure and join us. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans. Get Valuate, online investment analysis. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. Buildout, the marketing tool for your brokerage. And Barnes Creative Studios, commercial real estate video production.